Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus often taught by way of parables. He does so to illumine people with truths concerning his kingdom. Jesus often taught by parables to hide the pearls of the gospel from the swine, from those who neither know the scriptures nor the power therein. What this means is that it takes spiritual eyes guided by God the Holy Spirit to see and understand the wonderful parables spoken by our Lord Jesus Christ. Today's parable perhaps illustrates this reality the best. It is obviously one that is confusing. I must admit that when the seminarian picked last Sunday to preach, I wondered if he looked to see what the readings would be and then decided that he'd take the easier one last week's as opposed to this week's gospel. Then I later learned last weekend was the only weekend that he was going to be in Missouri, so that was not the case. He did not conveniently choose the easier gospel. And so while some of our Lord's parables are understood in the world to some degree, none are truly understood apart from faith and the working of God, the Holy Spirit. Many in the world may think that they understand the parable of the Good Samaritan, because that's, that, that's all about helping people, right? We have Good Samaritan laws because we know that, that we are to be like the Good Samaritan. We are to go out and help all people and to love our neighbors. Is that all that this parable, though, is talking about? Is it really that accessible to even the unbeliever to understand what Jesus is teaching? We have to recognize, though, in that parable, the Good Samaritan, we, that, that, that we actually learn something about Jesus. So the Samaritan saw this man laying there half dead, and he bandaged his wounds, he put him on his own animal, he brought him to the end, and he paid the entire debt. Well, that's exactly what Jesus did for you. He saw you dead in your sins and your trespasses. He came to you in compassion. He did not ignore you in your plight. He bandaged you with the salve of the gospel. He paid your debt entirely by shedding his innocent blood on your behalf on the cross. And he brings you to the ark of his church where he continues to take care of you until that day you join him in the gates of paradise. He even promises to come back for us, canceling out all of that debt by judging us righteous on the last day. Truly, he is that good Samaritan. He loves us more than any other person does. The notion, though, that Jesus could be the active agent in the parable of the good Samaritan is not understood or seen without faith in Christ. Without knowledge of Jesus, they would not see how this connects to Jesus. Yet at the same time, we see in this parable bad examples, which Jesus is certainly not teaching others to do. Jesus is not teaching you to be like the robber and, and, and mug this guy and beat him up so that he's laying there half dead. He's not teaching you to be like the priest or the Levite who pass by the road on the other side, ignoring this man in his plight. In the same way, today's gospel is understood by Christians when guided by the Holy Spirit. This parable, too, is understood 
by grace and by the working of the Spirit. Of course, Jesus is not teaching us to waste our employer's possessions. He's not teaching us to defraud our rich bosses so that we can advance ourselves in this life. He's not teaching us to be dishonest or behave as the sons of the world. Note, he contrasts the sons of the world with you, the children of light. Instead, this parable becomes much clearer when Jesus adds his commentary at the end of verse 8. Jesus said, For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. By these words, Jesus is criticizing many who consider themselves of the household of faith for their lack of shrewdness, for their lack of taking advantage of an opportunity that is presented right there before you. This gospel begins a new chapter in Luke, and Jesus is speaking to his disciples. It's helpful to know what took place in the previous chapter to understand this parable. In the previous chapter, Jesus taught three very familiar parables because the scribes and Pharisees were offended at Jesus because he was receiving sinners and tax collectors and he was eating with them. So in response, Jesus taught the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the prodigal son to show how important it is for sinners to repent and to turn away from their sin and how much joy there is in heaven when sinners do this, when they repent and when they cling to Christ the gospel. In the last parable, the parable of the prodigal son, we hear of a son who, he really had it made, did he not? He belonged to his father's house. He had a comfortable living. He was truly free. He had a good living. But he did not understand the freedom he had received from his father. He was not satisfied. He felt that his father was as good as dead to him. He asked for his inheritance immediately so that he could go out and live the life that he thought would be much more freeing and better to live. The father remarkably granted this request, and so this son, this younger son, went his way. He wasted his money on prostitutes, and after a severe famine, he found himself starving. The situation was so dire for him that he wanted to eat the feed that the pigs were eating because he was so hungry. This man, after having been so foolish, now wisened up. He knew he could be a hired man at his father's farm and enjoy a stable wage like the other workers did who are not part of that family's house. He knew that this would be far better than what he is enduring right now. He realized that he had to do one thing that most people do not want to do, even those who have been called by the gospel. He had to go back to his father and repent. He had to go back to his father and plead guilty before his father. And he resolved to say these words, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me a hired servant. While repenting may feel painful, this son, 
so to speak, had his eye on the prize, he knew what he could receive. He knew what was good for him. He recognized that he had seriously wronged his father. He wasn't even expecting to be restored as a son. All he wanted was to have a job under his father's house, be treated as a regular worker like the rest of them. However, his father does not just receive him back as a servant, but his father receives him back as a son. His father throws a party for him, restores him as that son, and there was much joy, and we'll ignore the part of the older brother at this point, but there is much joy in the presence of the angels in heaven when one sinner repents, there is joy among our brothers and sisters in Christ when we see somebody repent. We, there is joy because God receives sinners into his fold as his sons, sons of God. For when sinners are received into God's fold, they become brothers and sisters to our Lord Jesus Christ. They can count Jesus as their brother. You can count Jesus as your brother and it is at this point that Jesus turns to his disciples and speaks today's gospel, the parable of the unjust steward. A rich man, a master, had a steward. Our translation calls him a manager. I prefer the language of a steward, that this steward was wasting his goods. The master is firing his steward, but the steward first had to shore up all the books. He had to finish the job. It wasn't like some sort of day job where your boss tells you on Friday afternoon, it's time for you now to go home. You are fired. Take your stuff. Here's a box. Here's a guard to escort you out on your way. We don't need you. We don't need you to do a thing. Instead, it's more like if you decide that your lawyer isn't doing his job well, you ask him to shore everything up, finish it all off, hand over the paperwork so you can go hire another lawyer. It has been suggested that this is harvest time and the master needs the steward to finish his job, so the steward is given a little bit of time, and then the steward devises a plan. He doesn't know what to do at first. He's too white-collar to dig. He's too proud to beg. And so he suddenly has this aha moment, and he decides what he's going to do. He's going to go up to his master's debtor. He's going to call them all in, and he's going to write down their debts. So he goes to the first one and asks him how much you owe, and he said 100 measures of oil. So he says, okay, let's make it 50 measures of oil that you owe your master. And then he asks another one, how much do you owe? And he says, okay, let's shave off 20 measures of wheat, both of which were probably worth about 500 denarii almost two years worth of wages. Yes, this steward is robbing his master while he's making friends with his master's debtors. He does so because he knows that these debtors will love him for it and they will help him out when he's kicked out of his job and has nothing more to do. This man is a smart man. He does what's necessary for his own survival. And then shockingly, the master commends the steward for his shrewdness. Just like the sinful actions of the robbers, the priest, the Levite, and the prodigal son in our Lord's other parables, Jesus is not teaching us to copy this steward with his sin. 
But our Father in heaven commends us Christians when we are shrewd, not by stealing and cheating to gain earthly possessions, but by wisely obtaining the gospel for our eternal home to secure it. You see, we are all sinners. If God demanded an account of our stewardship, our actions, we would be kicked out of his kingdom. That's what we deserve. And we are too weak to dig our way into heaven through our good works. We are, and we cannot sweet talk our way into God's favor by begging. So, aha, I know what I will do. I will use unrighteous mammon to ensure my place in heaven. I will support the preaching of the gospel by praying for my pastor and my church and my brothers and sisters in Christ. I will support the preaching of the gospel by my generous giving back to the Lord. I will support the preaching of the gospel in my ears by listening intently myself as opposed to thinking these are just common words and I can take it and leave it, it doesn't really matter. Because I need to steal this gospel as mine, Jesus. He died for me. I can claim his righteousness now as mine. I can lay hold of his forgiveness and claim it as my own. And I'm not going to be passive about this. I'm not going to just say I was baptized and confirmed and that's all I got to do and then I'll just let everything float and then on my deathbed I'll somehow make it all up to God. But I am day in and day out going to take advantage of the gospel's gifts as much as I possibly can. That is true wisdom. Jesus then contrasts the disciples of Christ with the disciples of this world. The steward in the parable is a smart disciple of the world. He knows how to use the world to his own advantage. But what about the disciples of Christ? Do they know how to use everything that Christ offers them to their advantage? Here again is where the previous parable is helpful. There the prodigal son learned the hard way, the need for repentance and returning to the father. So what about you? You who are baptized into Christ, you who have died to your sin so that you would not be enslaved in it. You who have been joined to the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, who, have been, who, have, who have been joined to this so that you walk in newness of life, will you repent? Will you turn away from the vain pleasures of this life? Do you take advantage of what God offers or will, you, or will Jesus be there to criticize you for being less shrewd than the sons of the world. Take, for example, confession and absolution. Do you take advantage of this life-giving, liberating gift? Do you run to your pastors so that you can confess your sins and hear this absolution, this pronouncement, this declaration that your sins are forgiven you? Or look at the Lord's altar. Under the veil are bread and wine that will soon be consecrated as the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. How do you understand and view this sacrament? Do you just see it as some sort of nice little extra 
Do you get annoyed if it adds a few minutes to the divine service? Do you think that you can get by without it? Or consider the word of God. Do you listen intently to every word that comes from the mouth of your pastor because you know that he is sent from God to teach you his truths? Do you long to be in Bible study where you can open your Bibles alongside your brothers and sisters in Christ and hear the word fleshed out among you? Are you wise enough to steal these chances for yourselves and take in this gospel as much as you possibly can? All too often, we're doing the opposite of God would have us do, for sadly, the sons of this world are more shrewd, as Jesus points out, than the sons of light. Jesus uses this parable by way of negative example. This guy knew how to make it, and he did it. He took a risk by writing off that debt. So what about you? You who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, do you know? how to make it to heaven. Do you really? Are you willing to take risks to disrupt your comfortable lives so that you can make your calling and election sure? Will you risk going to your pastor to confess your sins so that you can hear Christ's word of forgiveness applied to you? Will you risk parting with a tithe of your income so that you can give back to the Lord in thanksgiving? for the many blessings that he has bestowed upon you, and so that you can ensure that the church will continue in this place to the next generation? Will you risk giving up two hours a week to spend at church and Bible class and the divine service? Will you risk adding family devotions, along with those scripture readings and hymn singing and prayers, in the home on a daily basis? It is no wonder Jesus calls the people of this world shrewder. Jesus did everything for our salvation. He accepted the responsibility of all of our sin. And so he went to the cross where he bled and died in our place to cancel out our sin. By his all-sufficient sacrifice on the cross, he opened heaven to, to all sinners because in this, he paid for the sins of the entire world. He has established a church in our own community that proclaims the word purely and administers the sacraments rightly. And yet so many yawn at these treasures and run after prodigal living. They may not have those household gods, those carved images of the Old Testament, but they won't release their household gods of our day. You can figure out what they are in your life by looking at how you spend your time, what you do that prevents you from coming to Bible class or the divine service, because those are the things that you love and put your trust in. But Jesus calls on you this way to go about a far better day, a way, a way of wisdom, true wisdom, to be shrewd. It is the way of those who are spiritually wise to take up your crosses and follow Christ, because he will never let you down. He is with you. He invites you to feast on him in word and sacrament day in and day out. It is clear that there is nothing more important in this life, because through these means, he is rescuing you. He is showing you your true value and purpose, that you are a child of God, and he is preparing you to be received into his eternal kingdom. 
Jesus says we cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is not just the money that our translation suggests, but it is all these possessions of which we want to put our trust. Our coinage states it well, in God we trust. But do we find ourselves trusting in our coinage and not God? As much as we may love our mammon, it won't love us back, and it won't give us eternal treasures. But God always loves us and gives us eternal treasures. He loves you more than you can imagine. You can see that love, that dying, bleeding love. Jesus dying on the cross for you, shedding his innocent blood. Him saying to the, of those who are crucifying him, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Reconciling you, a fellow sinner, to himself calling on you to repent of your sins of apathy and neglect and prodigal living, and he graciously forgives you. He applies that salve of the gospel on your wounds. He lifts you up and carries you to himself. He is your rock and your shield and your refuge. He is your savior, and he gives you a peace which this world cannot give. Today's parable is perhaps one of the best ones that our Lord teaches. For by it, we don't just look at it passively and say, oh, I know it, I got this, Jesus. But it forces us to wrestle with his word, to dwell upon his teaching. And thereby, the Holy Spirit is imparting his wisdom and forcing us to spend time with him in his word. And that, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, is a great blessing. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting.